verse 10 through 12 today. Uh, that's, my, my math is not exactly awesome. Uh, I'm a pastor, not a mathematician, uh, so don't, don't fault me on that. But anyway, it's been awesome because what it's done is it's really messed with me. Jesus, in this, uh, in this section here, what he does is he starts his movement by talking about what his core values are. What are the values that drive the people that follow me and follow this movement to come flip the world upside down? And what he does is he goes against every natural instinct that we have as people because he's not just out to change circumstances. We talk about this every week. Jesus was never about just changing the circumstances of your life as if, you know, a better job or, uh, or a bigger family or more friends or all that would solve your problems. He knew that the biggest issue that we have was actually right here inside of us. And so he set out to change our thoughts. He set out to change our desires, to change and transform our character into something much different because he knew that if, we, if he could transform that, then he could create a people that were stronger than any circumstances life could throw at you. And we can't control life, can we? I mean, how many of us would say that everything in life has been perfectly predictable and exactly the way that I wanted it? None of us. Jesus said, I want to make you bigger than that. And so I want to change everything inside you. But it's counterintuitive. It's countercultural. It goes against every natural instinct. And so because of that, it's not going to be popular. All right, this is what Jesus does. You ready? Uh, everything against our natural instincts. Jesus, our, our nature, our natural instinct says, uh, you're a good person at your core. And every one of your intentions are good. Jesus will go on to say, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. In other words, God blesses. These are his value statements here. God blesses those who are spiritually bankrupt before him. Nature, everything inside of us says, man, just do whatever makes you happiest. You know, whatever makes you happy, man. Like, you just go do that. Jesus says, yeah, actually, God blesses those who mourn. It's not just the partiers in life. It's actually those who recognize that this world is a broken place. And that I'm part of that brokenness. So blessed are those who mourn. Uh, and not just those who make you happy. I don't know what's going on with this stage. I'm like bouncing up and down here. You guys see that? It's awesome. All right. Uh, Jesus says, look, blessed are those who are merciful to those who have hurt them. Anybody feel like that's an awesome thing? Like you wake, you wake up and you're like, man, I can't wait to see the people who've hurt me deep and just extend mercy to them. Like that's going to be the best part of my day. Jesus said, man, that's who God blesses. It's not those who say, man, I can't wait to make them pay. It's blessed are the merciful. So like everything about all of this, about Jesus and his value statements, goes against our natural desires, every natural instinct that we have. And because of that, it's not going to be popular. This is so important. Because as followers of Jesus, we're going to get backlash. We're going to get these moments where when we really follow Jesus and participate in what he's about in this world, we're going to get people who backlash against us. That's going to happen. In fact, Jesus said, this is, and this is his last beatitude today. This is his last, God blesses those who, uh, and he sets us up. Because if you follow every one of these values, if you really follow Jesus, this is what it's going to look like. You ready? Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. If you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up there, because that's where we're going to be today. Jesus says, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness. We're going to get into what persecution is in a second. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Now, if you woke up today and you're like, man, I can't wait to go to church and feel better about myself today. Blessed are the persecuted. This is sure to lift your spirits, all right? Uh, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad. <laughs> 
Because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. Look, there's a number of us um, uh, who maybe grew up in church, uh, had been kind of... considered Christians, you know, most of their life. And when we experience some things uh, that our culture does, it's easy for, I think, a lot of Christians to just get really uncomfortable. You know, when laws in our uh, country start changing, uh, you know, about uh, all sorts of things, um, you know, that just make Christians uncomfortable about it. Or, you know, you, you, you grew up going to school, maybe, like, you know, you, you said certain prayers in school, and that was okay. Or you, you know, there, there's some people in this room, maybe, who remember reciting the Lord's Prayer or some sort of, you know, scripture in school, in public schools. That was eradicated. You know, you can't even pray in schools anymore. Like, there's all sorts of things that change. And so there's, there's a natural instinct for a lot of Christians who grew up in the Christian world to just kind of get scared about that and start freaking out. You know, and there, there's some that are like, well, maybe we should just... Uh, you know, crank out eight kids, name them all Jebediah, and move out to the rural country, put on like 1800s clothes, and just isolate from the world. You know, let's just have fun making butter, you know? I mean, there's, there's something inside of us that's like, let's run and escape this world when we see that kind of backlash. And Jesus says, no, blessed are those who are persecuted. Well, what does persecuted mean? Persecuted means that you got some pressure coming at you. Actually, the original word means to ride or to march or pursue in order to drive out and uh, inflict suffering. Sounds fun, right? <laughs> uh, if you got some pressure coming at you, that's persecution. Jesus said, blessed are those who are persecuted. And, he's, and he says this, this shouldn't surprise you. If you follow Jesus, getting pushback should not surprise you. In fact, in John 15, he says this, If the world hates you, keep in mind that it hated me first. If you belonged to the world, it would love you as its own. As it is, you don't belong to the world. But I've chosen you out of the world. That's why the world hates you. And one of his followers, John, who's said to be one of the, like, the beloved disciples who's super close to Jesus, in John, 1 John 3, uh, 13, he says, Man, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised if the world hates you. This should not come as a surprise. When we look at the earliest followers of Jesus, this is what we see, too. It was around every corner that they had pushback and people coming at them from all different angles. Ten out of the twelve original apostles were martyred for their faith. Jesus commissioned people who, as soon as he went into heaven, he knew that they were going to get persecuted. Paul wrote uh, some of the greatest moments in all of Scripture from prison. Philippians, Ephesians, and Colossians are actually known as the prison epistles. And Paul wasn't in there for a DUI. Paul was in there because of his faith. And there's part of me that asks, man, when was the last time we actually felt that kind of pressure because of our faith? Because of what we believed in? here's Here's the reality. John said, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised when this comes at you. I think a lot of us are surprised. (laughs) I think a lot of people who grew up in the church, they're surprised when they get pushed back because of their faith. Why? I think we've been living in a a kind of pseudo-Christendom here in America for a long time. Our country was based on Judeo-Christian values, and it's been safe to be Christians in this country for a long time. We got like a 200-year history where it was cool being a Christian. You know, like rules from the government were created based on those values. That's not true anymore. 
Uh, we've, we have been experiencing a lot of, uh, like a very little amount of persecution. Now, what we do is we actually, we live in a bit of a post-Christian context. That's what a lot of people are identifying now. We are in a post-Christian context. Let me just throw a couple of these things at you. Can you throw that um, percentage of Americans claiming no religious identity anymore? Uh, in, that, in the 1940s, this is, this is a whole group of people now that identify with no religion. 1940s, only 5% of the population identified that way. Now, I mean, based in, in 2014, and now, I mean, every, like, one out of every four adults are saying that they don't believe in anything, and it's, it's much higher for adults under 30. In fact, right now, the largest and fastest growing spiritual group in America is what they call the nons, those who identify with no organized religion, and it is quickly growing. It's the fastest growing, in, in, in fact, one pastor put it this way, he said, of the 85% of American adults who were raised Christian, nearly a quarter of them no longer identify with Christianity. Pew Research Institute tells us that uh, there are more than four former Christians for every convert to Christianity. 3,700 churches close their doors annually here in America. 3,700. And right where we live, between Manchester, New Hampshire, and Boston is now considered the, le- the second least religious area of the country. You want to pull that stat up here? Just this, this image? Check this out. Portland and Auburn, Maine is the only one that beats us out. Besides that, Boston to Manchester, we got 56% that are, that are post-Christian. And if you're wondering what post-Christian means, um, you have to agree to at least one of these. You don't believe in God. You identify as an atheist or an agnostic. You disagree that faith is important at all. Never made a commitment to Jesus. Disagree that the Bible is true. Or agree that Jesus has committed sins. This is where all the trends are going. Everything in our context says that there are people that are, are skeptical about organized religion. And maybe we have a few in this room that are just, I mean, look, if, if you're one of those, join the club because I've been there too. If you are skeptical about organized religion, and maybe, maybe you're spiritual but you're skeptical about organized religion, man, you're, you're joining the fastest growing population here in America. So the big question for us in this room is, man, what do we do with that? Jesus said, don't be surprised. Don't be surprised. In fact, it's not only don't be surprised, <laughs> he says rejoice. What? Jesus says rejoice. Blessed are those who are persecuted. I'm not saying that these people are persecuting us. But I'm saying as the trends are growing this way, it's going to be increasingly unpopular to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And Jesus says rejoice in that. Why? Because there was nothing more distasteful to Jesus than nominal belief. To say that you believe something on the surface, but actually not have it translate into a core on the inside of who you are. Man, Jesus had just had some crazy words for religious people. Jesus, Jesus chose that if he was going to offend somebody, it wasn't going to be the people who were farthest from God or who had these crazy lifestyles. It was actually the people who thought that they were close to God but weren't. We, we said this a lot in this series, but he, he looked at the religious elite and he said, you're like whitewashed tombs that look nice and clean and perfect on the outside, but on the inside, you're full of the bones of the dead. He says, nominal faith is not what saves you. In a, in a lot of ways, it's what alienates you farther from God than anyone else. 
And so Jesus is not surprised, nor is he afraid of persecution. I think what he's going to ask us is to not necessarily be afraid of persecution, but be afraid of a life that would never warrant persecution. When was the last time someone persecuted you because of your faith? In fact, uh, Paul put it this way in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He said, in fact, uh, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. That's going to happen if you follow Jesus. He says, guaranteed, that's what's going to happen. You're going to get pushback in this. Um, I've known some people who said that I'm not sure that I want to be a follower of Jesus because... uh, I'm going to have friends and family who are going to reject me. Is that your story? My guess is a lot of us in this room that if we chose to be a Christian and we chose to follow Jesus, we wouldn't necessarily get all of that. But there are some people around the world that are like that all the time. Jesus said in Luke chapter 6 that if your life doesn't warrant persecution or ever, ever even have the threat of persecution, I'm not sure you're mine. He says, woe to you when everyone speaks well of you. For that's how their ancestors treated the false prophets. Now, there's some of us in this room, maybe, that like, you're liked everywhere you go. Everywhere you go. When you go to work, like, people love you at your job. Your boss loves you. Your coworkers love you. Your friends all love you. Your family loves you. Like, everywhere you go, you're just a nice person. You're well-loved everywhere you go. Jesus is saying that if you don't get some form of persecution, I'm not sure you're mine. Because your life might not be lived with a distinction that is uniquely Jesus following. And when you do, guaranteed you're going to get pushed back. Uh, I was the nice guy my whole life. <laughs> uh, growing up, I was the nice kid. I had never had any problems with anybody. Uh, I always uh, was well-liked everywhere that I went, uh, except by my parents when I was crazy. <laughs> uh, but uh, I, was, I was just the nice guy. And like everywhere I went, people were like, oh, I like that kid, Scott. He's just that nice kid. I chose the church plan. I was no longer the nice guy anymore. <laughs> I'm telling you, when God called us to come plant this church right here in Nashua, I was no longer the nice guy. There were all sorts of people who looked at me and said, you know what you're doing is stupid, right? You know that's stupid. Do you have any idea what it, what it even means to create a nonprofit and what's involved in that? You have no clue. You're way too young for that. It's stupid. It's risky. You're never going to be able to raise enough money to do it. It's a dumb idea. We started loving this city in ways that religious people were really uncomfortable with. We started partnering with the Parks and Rec and being with them in some of their movie nights and movies that a lot of, some Christians were like, I'm not sure I want to be a part of that. On Easter, this past Easter, we had someone dress up in a bunny costume and give people high fives. We had a photo booth in the hallway there because we came here to reach lost people, people who were far from God and didn't want to have anything to do with him. And we were willing to do whatever it took to get people in here to hear about this life-changing message of Jesus. Our whole mission is to change lives with the message and the movement of Jesus. And if people aren't coming to us anymore, we're going to do whatever it takes to get an audience and a friendship with them. That really ticks some people off. I got some nasty texts and emails the day after we had someone dress up as a bunny in our hallway saying, how dare you? How dare you? That's an insult to God. I'm telling you, if you choose to follow Jesus in a radical lifestyle, you're going to get a pushback. And for the earlier followers of Jesus, they got pushed back not from the Romans initially, but from their own Jewish brothers. 
Those are the people who are carrying them off to prison. Those are the ones who are carrying them off to jail. Those are the ones who are like putting a lot of pressure on them because they're like, you're not doing this right. Jesus was okay with offending religious people. He was. Because he said, my mission is to seek and to save the lost. And there were people who looked at him as if he was a drunkard and a glutton because he was so focused on people who were far from God. We've had people actually come here to this church and leave our church because we were too focused on lost people. I take that as a compliment. This is why we exist. We talked about this last week. Uh, someone asked me, who's the church for? And I think a lot of people are tempted to say the church is for Christians. And the guy who asked me the question said, no, it's not for Christians. The church is Christians for a dying world that needs God. That's who the church is, and that's who the church is for. And I'm telling you, if you live to follow Jesus, you're going to go places that some people are really uncomfortable going. Now, here's the crazy thing. Heat, pressure, persecution reveals where your real treasure is. When you get heat, it's going to reveal what you're really after. And I think that's why Jesus was saying, man, this is, this is okay. For us to get persecuted. This is okay for us to start feeling this. Because it's going to start revealing what you're really all about. In, uh, in 1 Peter it says, man, you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. But you know what? These trials, these persecutions, these have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith. You're not going to get the genuineness. It's not going to prove genuine until you get persecution, until you get heat and pressure. The proven genuineness of your faith is of greater worth than gold, he says, which perishes even though refined by fire. That's what gold does. He says, when your faith is proved genuine by these trials and these persecutions, it's going to result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus is revealed. Man, when was the last time someone pushed against you because of your faith? Whether it was someone who considered themselves a religious person or someone who was a non-religious person at all. Have you gotten any pushback because of your life? at all, or are you well-liked everywhere you go? Uh, Dietrich Bonhoeffer uh, was a pastor, amazing dude, uh, back in the uh, area of World War II, um, and he knew this well. At the time, the German church had kind of uh, either gone to the place where uh, they just wanted to be comfortable and they avoided all the stuff that was happening because they just, like, they, they wanted to protect themselves, or they had somehow bought into the Nazi uh, idea that, like, we were the master race and all that. It was both, both, both extremes were so awful. Dietrich Bonhoeffer dared to get in the middle of all that and start creating peace by calling out what was ugly and awful and actually ended up uh, participating in the assassination plot of Hitler because he knew that uh, that that man's death would actually result in more peace than less, and he ended up losing his life for it. Because he knew that if he followed Jesus to try to create more peace and reconciliation in this world, he might lose his life, but it was worth it. And this is what he said. He said, recognition, not recognition, but rejection is the reward that followers of Jesus get from the world for their message and their works. Not recognition. Man, I'm like you guys. I want to be liked everywhere I go. I want to get recognition. We've got functional jobs where, like, we've got to get recognition if we're going to climb and get any better and, and achieve some things in life, right? But if that's all you get, if being liked is all you get, and if recognition is all you get without any distinction... If people are looking at your life and they're saying there's no contrast between this person and, the, and another person, between someone who says they follow Jesus and those who want nothing to do with Jesus, if there's no distinction there, your life is a loss. 
Because Jesus is saying, man, if you follow me, you're going to get pushed back. When he comes, that's what reveals your real treasure. And the big question is, is it worth that to you? Now, we got to ask the question, what's real persecution? Because some of us, when we walk out the house, you know, we see that little dog turd in the front yard that the neighbor dog keeps coming and like pooping on your yard every single day. And you're like, oh, just being persecuted, you know, this is the worst. You know, or you walk downstairs and like, you know, instantly like there, you feel some tension between you and your wife or your spouse. And, and, you know, you're just like, oh, man, I'm just persecuted, man. You know, it's just just tough stuff. No, like you were a turd, you know, and you deserve that. The big question is like, man, what is real persecution? Because some of us might think like, man, I'm just a victim in life, you know, and I just get persecuted all the time. The reality is like you got to understand what real persecution is. Are you really persecuted? If you're thinking some people are out to get you because of, you know, persecution, you have to ask yourself, is it warranted? Jesus said, blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of things against you because of me. Are you falsely accused? Or are you accurately accused? <laughs> Look, there's some people here that are accurately accused. And if someone says, man, that's Scott, dude, that man's a jerk. Your first instinct should not be like, I'm just being persecuted. Your first instinct should be like, man, are they right? <laughs> I'll own it. I'm a jerk sometimes. And I've, I've let you guys know this. I let our, our core team know that when we launch this thing, I'm not going to be a perfect pastor. I wish I could. If you're looking for a perfect pastor, please go down the street. I could probably recommend a couple guys that are better than me. Uh, I'm not going to be that to you. Man, I, and I hate the moments where I'm going to let people down. But like, we have to ask, are they right when people accuse you? Are they right? Now, here's just a couple of things. This is not an exhaustive list at all, but I was just thinking about this this week. I'm wrestling with this too. Because I had to ask myself, man, am I persecuted? Am I, do I receive pushback enough because of my faith? I think there's actually some areas in my life where I need to up my game. If there are some people who reject you, <clears throat> do they reject you because you just ignore them or avoid them because you don't like their lifestyle? There are some after parties in your workplaces that there are some people in this room are uncomfortable going to because there's drinking or there's false language or there's like there's some there's some crude stuff that happens there. If you avoid them and then find out that they're rejecting you again and again, you're not persecuted. Do you know those are the parties that Jesus went to? Jesus went there. That's why he was called a drunkard and a glutton. I'm not saying go, you know, get yourself wasted and participate in some of the stuff that is like, is not, you know, that, that's off color. That's not what Jesus did either. But he was there because those people mattered. Moral superiority is not persecution. Being easily offended <laughs> is also not persecution. There's some people that will look at some of the changes that are happening in our country with political laws and, you know, different things. And they're just like, man, oh, I just get really uncomfortable by it. You know, and you just get easily offended by other people around you. That's not persecution. Just because you're easily offended does not mean you're being persecuted. And then, the, man, just another question. Like, are you participating in any shady business? Like, personally or at your work? Are you during, doing some things that you know you shouldn't be doing? And you're getting some pushback because of it. If that's true... Like, I, I knew a guy who was coming here for a little while who actually manipulated people that he worked with so that he could get a bit better paycheck. And he knew it. He would tell me about it. If you're doing shady things at work and people are saying you're a jerk, it's true. All right? You know what I'm saying? Look, 
you got to ask yourself some hard questions. Are people accusing you falsely or accurately? Now, this is what it means to be accused falsely. Ready? Jesus said, blessed, blessed are those who are persecuted because of what? Righteousness. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Do you know what Jesus was about in this world? Again, he was about reaching lost people, people who are far from God, but he was also about peacemaking. This is what's so beautiful about this one being at the end of all of the, the Beatitudes here. The, the, the previous verse in verse 9, it says, blessed are the peacemakers, for, there's, for, for they will be called children of God. And I think what he's saying here is, man, when you participate in righteousness, which is a right standing, a right relationship with other people and God, when you participate in that, you're going to get pushback. If you're going to actively participate in making peace in this world, you're going to get pushback. Nobody knew this better than people like William Wilberforce, who ended slavery in England. He spent his entire life out of his faith, his deep devotion to Jesus, to end slavery in England. It took him 60 years to do this. And it was only on his deathbed that it was finally announced legally that slavery was done. He got pushed back around every corner. Death threats, you name it. Martin Luther King Jr., death threats to the point where he lost his life because of his faith. He, he participated in peacemaking. Do you wake up and get out of bed and think to yourself, man, I want to be an agent of peace everywhere I go. I want to make my marriage a more peaceful marriage. I want to make my kids and my family a more peaceful home. I want to make my workplace a better, more peaceful place. Or are you thinking, man, I just want to get a paycheck? Am I thinking, man, I want to make a difference in my community and make my city of Nashua a more peaceful place? I'm telling you, if you are a peacemaker, you're going to get pushback. I got a friend who uh, is in Sri Lanka. I've mentioned him to some of you before. Uh, he's dedicated his life to reconciling his country that had been in civil war for 26 years. He wakes up every single day knowing that today might be his last day. There are a lot of people who hate his guts. By God's grace, over 10 years, they've been able to reach uh, over 15,000 young adults that have been a part of both warring parties to, for uniting, reconciling efforts. In fact, the Queen of England just uh, gave him a, 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 an award the other day for some of his efforts, but he knows today might be his last day because there are people who hate his guts for peacemaking. His faith in Jesus is what drives him. Uh, my wife and I were actually watching a documentary on Fred Rogers. Anyone know who Fred Rogers is? Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. Anybody ever watch Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood? Awesome show. Wasn't it great growing up? Like, man, we love Mr. Rogers' Neighborhood. He's like the least uh, eccentric person. Like, you know, he's not a dynamic personality. There's not something awesome about him. Did you know that Mr. Rogers, Fred Rogers, was actually driven by his faith in Jesus Christ? And he created that show to help kids wrestle with hard issues. It's amazing. It's a kid's show. But they actually talk about, man, kids, how do you wrestle with death? <laughs> how, how do you help process when your parents divorce? How, how, what do you do when there's war in the world? He actually had conversations with that. He helped kids with crazy disabilities know that they had a fundamental value inside of them, intrinsic worth, because the creator God endowed them with that. He was willing to go into all of that, even though he was not a dynamic personality, because his faith in Jesus Christ drove him to that. The dude got pushed back. I mean, he, he was the fodder for SNL for a while. SNL loved to beat up on Mr. Rogers because he was this cute old man with a nice little sweater. And, and if, 
If you've ever seen uh, Eddie Murphy's take on it uh, in Mr. Robinson's Neighborhood, look, it's funny stuff, okay? It's really funny stuff, but it was pushback. It nailed his character. It demeaned his work. It got right in the middle of that, and he got pushed back because he was a peacemaker. My question is, when was the last time you woke up and said, man, I can't wait to make peace today, and no matter what the cost, I'm willing to work at it because Jesus did that for me. When Jesus came into this world, Jesus didn't come to save himself. Jesus didn't come so that he could just have a great hangout with other human beings. He came into this world a weak, I mean incredibly fragile baby, born in a feeding trough, which was a picture of what the rest of his life was going to look like. Around every corner, people nailed Jesus and they accused him over and over and over and over and over. He was misunderstood maligned everywhere he went he was mocked and even as he was dying a brutal death he was on the cross people were hurling insults at him come save yourself jesus his response man father forgive them they don't even know what they're doing he did that for you and for me what would it look like guys now the reality is here, here in america we still don't have it all that bad. I say we're in a post-Christian context. We still don't have it all that bad. Do you know that we actually get tax breaks for being a church? <laughs> the government actually lets us off financially for being a church? Like, I mean, we still participate with the parks and the rec and, and, and the local school system after the, uh, we, we provided schools, supplies, and backpacks and all that. They still invited us to their open house to set up a table so we could meet the parents. That doesn't happen around the, around the world. Only in America can something like that happen. You know, regardless of how rare that is, only like something like that can happen in America. But I want to mention two things that I think we're going to continually get more persecution at as followers of Jesus, because I think it's going to be important for us to know this. Uh, moving forward, I think uh, two things. Uh, any topic that we have around um, sexual ethics or gender or marriage, coming at it from a biblical standpoint, we're going to get more pushback on this. I think within my lifetime, actually, uh, the way that we articulate things from a biblical standpoint uh, is going to be considered hate speech. The big question for us is, man, are we going to love people in the middle of all that? And are we going to be willing to take abuse to love people? The second thing, I think, is the exclusivity of Jesus. Uh, to say that Jesus is the only way in our culture is considered uh, narrow-minded and bigoted. How could you ever think that Jesus is the only way? Don't you know that you set yourself up against everyone else and you're, you're creating these religious walls of hatred and all that? How can you say Jesus is the only way? We're going to get more and more pushback from this, I think. Now, the reality is, I mean, this is a quick tool for you guys if you ever engage in a conversation like that. Always do it with love. We never want to win a war of, of words. That doesn't help. Uh, if you win an argument, that doesn't mean that you've won a friend. Our job is to win friends. Uh, but... When someone says uh, you are narrow-minded because of your exclusive belief in Jesus, uh, and they say, uh, you know, all religions are the same, and they all lead to the same place, and I'm like, well, uh, so you're including all religions except for the ones that exclude others, right? You're saying all roads are valid except my belief that says that Jesus is the only way. I'm like, yeah, yeah, no, everyone's valid except for your opinion. So you're excluding me by saying that everybody is right. And not just me, but you're probably excluding the Jews too, right? They say they're the only way. 
You're also excluding the uh, Muslims because they say that their way is the only way. How many other people are you going to start to exclude when you say that all religions are the same? And so, like, no matter where you are, everyone's exclusive. That's just true. That's just, a, I mean, just a quick thing there. If someone says that you're exclusive and you're narrow-minded and bigoted, everybody is exclusive and narrow-minded. That's just true. Anyway, we're going to continue to get pushback by where we stand on those two issues. The big question is, are you willing to really love people radically in the middle of all that and still get pushed back? Now, when we get pushback, when we get real persecution, what's our response? Again, Jesus says, man, when you are falsely accused because of me, rejoice and be glad. I don't know about you guys, that goes against every natural instinct on the inside of me. But this is what the early followers of Jesus did. When they started proclaiming about who Jesus was, they went all over the place telling people about what Jesus did and that he actually died and he actually rose again. And the religious people at the time were persecuting them. They, they, in fact, they, they grabbed some of the best and the brightest and they said, you better stop this. You're leading people down wrong roads. And the apostles said, we can't help talking about this because we're convinced that it happened. We saw it with our eyes. We know this is true. We can't help talking about it anymore. And they said, okay, fine. We're going we're gonna to do some things to you that you're not going to like. In fact, what they did is they scourged them. They flogged them to the point where they started peeling pieces of their skin and their flesh off their backs. You know what their response was? In Acts chapter 5, it says the apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing. Because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. Day after day, they never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. Why? Because they believed that he was true. And they believed that in that reconciliation between man and God, that was the only hope for the whole world. That's not hate, that's love. What does it cost you, guys? What does it cost you to follow Jesus? What does it cost you to be a part of his peacemaking efforts in the world? Paul said, ultimately, we rejoice in this because this is how Christianity thrives. Christianity thrives under persecution. You look at history, Christianity grows in the middle of persecution. Your faith grows when people push back on you. You, get, you don't get weaker, you get stronger in the middle of all this. Uh, this is, I mean, in, in, in the first 300 years of, of Christianity, uh, it exploded. And it didn't explode because things were comfortable and circumstances were good. It exploded in the middle of people losing their life for their faith. It, it exploded when people were, were uh, cut in half and they were actually like impaled and used as torches to light the way for the emperors because they just wanted to persecute people and snuff it out. It was never snuffed out. It could not be snuffed out because what they knew in their minds and their hearts was real is something they could not stop talking about. Only in persecution do things thrive and really grow in the faith. In fact, um, there was this Christian that I, 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 I talked to or I, I heard talk this week that said uh, that Christianity does not know how to grow unless there's pushback. That other religions actually thrive when they get power, like, like Islam. You know, they, they, they love to be the majority and that's how it kind of thrives and grows. Christianity has no idea what to do when it has power. And it's no surprise to me that the Crusades happened after Christianity became the official religion of Rome. It's no surprise to me that uh, Martin Luther and the Reformation had to explode as a minority group out of the Catholic Church when at the time it had become so corrupt with its power that it was completely false. Christianity doesn't thrive when it has power and majority. It actually thrives under persecution. Every single time. 
In fact, today, the place where Christianity is thriving the most is in China. China actually has more Christians in its country than we have people in America. And it's illegal. It's illegal to express Christianity in China. That's where it's growing fastest right now. And if we're tempted in this moment to think that, man, like, you know, it's going to be harder and harder to follow Jesus right here in America, it will. But if we're tempted to think that's a bad thing, guess again. Because when it gets hard, that's when the distinction between us and people who don't follow Jesus gets clearer. That's when our faith gets more genuine. That's when our, our efforts to actually follow Jesus and become part of his peacemaking movement start becoming real in 3D and 4D. Persecution is not a bad thing. You should not be afraid of persecution. You should be afraid of a life that doesn't warrant persecution. That's what you should be afraid of. And when we think that the best solution here in America is actually to get back an American nation, we fall into the same trap that people try to trap Jesus in. And when they offered him political standing in this world, do you know what Jesus said? My kingdom is not of this world. My kingdom is not of this world. I didn't come to rewrite the laws of a country. I, I came to rewrite hearts. And when I rewrite hearts in the middle of persecution, that's when the movement explodes. That's when your faith becomes real. Don't be afraid of persecution. Be afraid of a life that never warrants persecution. I want to finish with this. I was reading this this week and it just messed me up. Because I think this is maybe what we need more than anything. I think we don't need a Christian nation in America anymore. I think we need Christians that are willing to be persecuted because of their faith, because they're willing to love this world the way Jesus loved it. In Hebrews 11, it said this, By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Power, prestige, privilege, rights. He refused to be known as one of the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Instead, he chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ, as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Is being liked and having comfort and recognition in this world mean more to you than actual distinction of following Jesus? It didn't for Moses. By faith he left Egypt, not fearing the king's anger. He, per he persevered because he saw him who is invisible. By faith he kept the Passover and the application of blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. And it goes on and on. It says, what shall I say? What more shall I say? I don't have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and about David and Samuel and the prophets. Jesus said, this is, blessed are you uh, because the kingdom of heaven is yours. This is what they did to the prophets. They persecuted the prophets who were before you. You know what happened to the prophets? I don't have time to talk about the prophets, he says. Who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, peacemaking, and gained what was promised, who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed by foreign armies. Women received back their dead, raised to life again, and then check this out. There were others who were tortured, refusing to be released, refusing to be released, so that they may gain an even better resurrection. Some faced jeers and floggings and even chains and imprisonment. They were put to death by stoning. They were sawed in two. They were killed by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins, destitute, persecuted, mistreated. The world was not worthy 
of them. The world wasn't worthy of them. Because they were willing to be persecuted for the sake of reconciling people to God. Can we say that about ourselves? Let's not fear persecution. Let's fear a life that never warrants persecution. Let's pray. Jesus, my fear is that we've grown too comfortable in America. And I just pray, God, that you do whatever it takes to wake us up. God, I pray that we would not be afraid of losing our ground morally, not be afraid of losing our ground with power, not be afraid, God, of whatever political spectrum we don't align with. Let us not be afraid of that. But God, I just pray that you would help us to live such lives of peace and love in this world, to introduce people to the hope in the gospel to the point that it's okay if people push against us. That's okay. Let us remember our Savior who did all of that and more so that we could find family and hope in you again and we could belong eternally. That's my prayer for us today, God. In Jesus' name, amen.